This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, August 19th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. When the idea of price-sensitive thermostats was first introduced, the reception was not warm. But the idea has merit, especially for those of us who might wish to purchase energy from greener sources and pay the premium in order to do so. Lynn Kiesling is a senior lecturer in the Department of Economics at Northwestern University. We spoke at Cato University in Annapolis, Maryland in July. Going forward technologically, why is it inappropriate to think of electricity like a widget, like a homogenous <laughs> product? Historically, the regulated utility has treated and the regulators have defined the product in electricity markets as a, a product and not really a service, but it's the, the service is the delivery of this commodity, electricity, into the customer premises. One of the things that technological change, in particular digital technology, has made increasingly possible is to think more of the service component of electricity. Think of electricity as a service and how that can both be differentiated over time or be bundled with other products. So, for example, product differentiation, um, the most obvious example, and I think the most intuitive and, and useful for consumers, is some form of uh, dynamic pricing, which is uh, the, the cost of generating electricity fluctuates over the course of the day, over the course of the week, seasonally. And those fluctuations in the wholesale price of electricity, um, that really affects the cost to the distribution company of distributing the electricity to you. And if you're paying a fixed price, as we pay un under a regulated price, uh, you're paying some averaged fixed price all the time. And that means there will be some hours when the price you're paying is lower than the cost to serve you. And then there will be other hours overnight when you pay a price that's higher than what it costs to serve you. So if, if you were willing to take on that price volatility and say, I'm willing to, to pay a real-time price, you could pay the higher price in the peak hours, but then you also get access to those cheap overnight hours. So you can shift your use over time. It also allows uh, consumers to uh, purchase other pieces of technology to further take advantage of these price fluctuations, like batteries that might otherwise be very expensive to store energy becomes a relatively better deal when the price of that electricity coming in is quite low. Yep. And there are all kinds of strategies that if you, if you um, have the freedom to choose a contract where you have a real-time price, there are all kinds of strategies you as a consumer can use to save money. Uh, so, for example, uh, and commercial, um, commercial customers, you know, so big box stores and so on do this a lot where they will um, pre-cool the the building so at you know three four five six a.m when electricity prices are really low they will set the air conditioner temperature really low and then over the course of the day as the price of electricity is going up the building is is slowly coming back up to temperature and it's something that that people who are in the building don't even really notice that much maybe a little chilly in the morning you put on a sweater but uh, there are ways that you can use um, 
building management technology to even automate that process, right? So you have a price trigger. If the price goes below um, seven cents, say, then pre-cool the building down to 70 degrees. And then as the, if the price goes up above 12 cents, then set the thermostat to 78 degrees. But because of the thermal mass, it takes a long time for the building to get back up there. And so you can save money and respond automatically because of the technology to price changes without being uncomfortable in the building. It's really cool. Now, the most wasteful forms of energy production are often physically the most wasteful forms of energy production. That is, the, there's there's energy that goes out that, that producers would like to capture, and sometimes it only makes sense to bring those kinds of production facilities online when the price is very high. That's right. And it would be nice for us consumers to be able to say, you know, I like this form of energy a lot better than I like this one. How How is that possible to, to say, to, as you put it, uh, change the fuel mix mm-hmm. by specifying the kinds of energy we want to purchase? So that's another example of how you can, in a competitive retail electricity market, you can sell a differentiated service, if you will, that... Um, if I, for example, want to have electricity generated by renewables, then I choose a 100% green contract. And that doesn't, of course, because of physics, that doesn't mean that the electrons that deliver the, you know, the electricity that I get to use are necessarily generated by green power. But my affirmative, my affirmative choice in a market to say I am willing to pay more for green power, uh, that changes the fuel mix and that creates the benefits that I might attach to green power of you know, reduced emissions. When this idea of uh, these digital thermostats that you can set your, ver- your tolerances, your uh, you know, uh, desires regarding price and things like that, uh, when they were first introduced, it was... There was a, a lot of pushback because they were introduced in such a way that made it sound as if uh, these will be men in black outfits will come and install these in your home and they will threaten you if, and then you, they'll leave and then you'll be forced to accept a brownout uh, that you'll be forced to accept uh, electricity just going out at, at certain times. Not that that in California is necessarily any different, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was argued that this is something going to be compelled. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the, the struggle as, as the, as the industry adapts to technological change and the regulators adapt to technological change. This struggle is emblematic of some of the difficulties that um, electricity is having sort of bringing in the dynamism that we've seen so richly and have have really made us thrive so much in other areas of the economy is the um, the clash of the traditional regulated business model with um, the sort of small scale granular choice oriented um, aspects of digital technology. And so, for example, uh, in electricity, um, there was a, a 
piece of congressional legislation in 2005 that stipulated that the digital that the meter right the 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 electric meter that the utility uses to determine how much you've consumed uh, that that function the metering function is a wires function and so even in a state like Texas where you have a thriving competitive retail market that the the actual meter who's going to own the meter and what function is that going to have is going to be with the wires company which is still a regulated natural monopoly um, that that decision actually uh, put into play a lot of consequences one of which is that um, utilities are the ones the regulated utilities are the ones that are investing in the digital meters and they are doing so as they basically as the old analog dial meters depreciate and they're being replaced they're being replaced by digital meters and um they the regulators in most states have agreed to um, allowing the utilities a surcharge to pay for those meters. Um, it's not clear to those of us who are outside observers to that process whether or not the charges that they allowed uh, really make economic sense. So, for example, in, in Illinois, I think the charge is around $2.50 per uh, customer per meter in perpetuity. <laughs> so uh, I think over the life, if, if you're a long-life consumer in the ComEd service territory, you're going to pay a heck of a lot more than it costs ComEd to buy that meter. And I think that's one of the, one of the reasons why these, these smart grid and the smart meter part of smart grid have had a lot of pushback is the imposition of that, that surcharge and the we're going to be installing a digital meter even if you don't necessarily think you're going to use the services and you know that the digital meter enables the utility to get more specific information about you. And if, if you don't necessarily trust how the utility is going to use that information uh, and whether or not it may use that information to um, you know, raise prices in some ways that are not transparent to you or the regulator, that's a problem. But the other, the, the thing that's even more um, important in, in your comment is this question of control. Because one of the things that is, is tradition, you know, follows from the traditional business model is this idea of having that meter that then enables the utility to control you know, your clothes dryer or your thermostat or your air conditioner. The, the, it's called direct load control. The direct load control in the air conditioner is a very, very um, visible program. And it doesn't always work. Last week with the, the heat wave, um, you know, here in July in Baltimore, the uh, direct load control program actually failed on a day when temperatures went up to 108 degrees. The, um, the, they didn't they didn't follow up on the customers to send back out the signal to restart the air conditioners so um it's i think it's part of the traditional regulatory culture to want the the utility and the regulators to be the ones controlling the settings on the 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 devices in the home but the technology enables the consumers to do the control themselves and that i think is the real cultural struggle it seems that once you give consumers 
the pricing information and allow them to pay a variable price, that the adaptation is all going to be on that side. Um, I, I don't see what regulators would have necessarily an interest in denying consumers access to that information, whether that information is coming through wires or a little cellular phone chip that's in your meter. However, it doesn't, it doesn't seem that regulators should have an interest in preventing that type of uh, price discrimination or product differentiation, you know, depending on how you look at it. And I, th- I think that's right. And the, those of us who study uh, electricity regulation from an economics perspective, the economics of, of the electricity industry, um, that has certainly been been my take on it, that here's a dramatic set of technological innovations, all of these digital technologies um, on the consumer-facing part of it. There's plenty of, of really great things that can you know, automate distribution functions in the you know, substations and transformers that, that will make the um, delivery of electricity, the distribution of electricity, more efficient and more reliable and ultimately at lower cost. The, um, but there's this really deeply embedded aspect that I think we economists who, who think about this um, kind of undervalue, and that is the deeply embedded sort of culture and norm in regulation about the uniformity, that there's a, a pretty deep fairness norm, that everyone's got to get the same level of service, the same quality of service, the same reliability. And by my choosing through having this better information and having digital technologies to control and manage my own use, I'm choosing to get a different level of reliability or a different service. That really just butts right up against a century's worth of regulatory practice. Regulators can't regulate quality. I mean, it's it's just baked into the cake that that's just not possible for them to do. They can they can regulate technical aspects of things. Yes, and and so for example, in electricity, there are very technical definitions about the reliability of service, and utilities are held to those performance metrics and evaluated on them. But then there are other aspects of, you know, customer service, you know, call waiting times, et cetera, uh, other aspects of quality that um, it's hard for regulators to observe and to set up some kind of measurable metric to deliver. Lynn Kiesling is a senior lecturer in the Department of Economics at Northwestern University. We spoke at Cato University in Annapolis, Maryland in July. You can learn more about Cato University at our website, cato.org.